All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? Oh, good, yeah, good, very good. Okay, good. Hey, guys. So, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton. I am typically working with Club 56 right next door, as well as youth. Yeah, so youth, so seventh grade all the way through seniors in high school. And so today, my audience is a little different, but I'm still going to bring high energy. All right, so we just got to stay with it. It's going to be fun. Um, today, the lesson that I want to I teach on is something that God has really been showing me this past semester and convicting me and challenging me. And as I've looked around, I see that it's a challenge for all of us and a lot of things that, that we all need to hear, right? And so a little more about myself. I have been married now for 51 weeks, right? So that, yeah, exactly, whoop. So I, next week is actually on Sunday, so one week from today, I will have been married for one year to my beautiful bride, Kara. Don't want to make her blush or anything, but uh, it's been awesome. It's been so encouraging to have someone in life that knows me completely and sees me in all different areas of my life and can challenge me, can encourage me, can motivate me, right? It's been super fun, and I love it. Another thing about me, that's really important, and then another thing about me is that I'm a guy that loves goals. I love to start each semester, each season of life, looking forward and saying, okay, these are the things I want to accomplish, and this is how I'm going to get there. So I'll go into a little more detail. So when I joined the Corps at A&M, fish year, I come in, and they say, okay, here's a strategic plan. You have to make specific goals in different areas of your life. So they say, okay, what's your GPA going to be? What do you want to get in your physical fitness assessment? Okay, relationship goals. How many clubs are you going to be involved in? And they would challenge me with these goals. And then at the end of the year, or at the end of the semester, my upperclassmen would come and say, okay, let's look at these goals that you set out. Three, seven, five, no way. You didn't get that, right? So they would look through my, my GPA, and, and they'd look through my, how I performed in my fitness tests, and they'd say, all right, you hit the mark, hit the mark, didn't hit the mark, didn't hit the mark, hit the mark. How can you get better for next semester? How can you grow? And so they would praise me and encourage me by not disciplining me on the things that I, I did well, and then they would discipline me on the things that I did not so well, right? And so that was a constant thing every year in the core for four years. It was, okay, here's the new goals. I want to hit them. I want to get them. I fell short. Or, yes, I got it. Let's keep going, right? Now, I continued this trait. With my job, right after I finished the court A&M and graduated, I went into Campus Crusade for Christ, crew, military. So my entire job was discipleship of cadets. So I would meet with eight cadets roughly each week and spend about four-hour blocks just doing life with these guys. I get to know them, know their, their hearts and their passions, and know where they're wanting to go. And I would just do life with them, and then I would send them out. I would hopefully encourage them to go and do what I had done for them. But I started those, that same semester the same way. I said, okay, here's the goals. How many guys do I want? When I met with my guys, what's the goals that you want to have? And I constantly am thinking through, how can I improve? How can I grow? Right? And then I got married, and it still didn't change. Last week, we're coming back from the blizzard of West Texas, and I turned to Karen, and I say, okay, how can we improve in marriage? Right? And she's like, don't ask me those questions. But I turn to her, and I say, okay, so we're looking back at this past year. What have we done really well? What's some of the things we can do better at? How can we have more fun? What are some things we've done so good that we need to really keep doing? And what are some of the areas that we really should should like put into our lives and really emphasize this upcoming semester, this season, this second year of marriage. Now, what a wonderful time to do that right now. So 2016, as we look forward, I want to challenge y'all with how are we going to grow 
as the body of Christ, how are we going to grow more mature in our faith? And specifically, how are we going to get back to the basics? Because I think sometimes we complicate so many different things in Christianity, but all we have to do is get back to the basics and grow from there. And so the basics, love God, love people, make disciples. That's what we believe to be true. I find these basics from the great commandment or the great commandments, because there's two, in Matthew 22. Now, a person asks Jesus, he says, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Now, the third basic principle, Matthew 28, the great commission, the mission for all believers. Jesus came back from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples. And he says to him, Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's where I get make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. How can we as a church, how can we individually grow in our commitment to follow Christ by loving God, loving people, making disciples. Now, I also want us to think about, a lot of us kind of understand love God, right? We can, we can kind of look inwardly and be like, okay, man, how's my time with the Lord personally? Not how am I proving myself to other people or how do I look at church on Sunday morning, but how is my intimate time with the Lord? How is it growing? What's my time in the word? How am I communicating with him in prayer and worshiping him? We can understand, okay, i, I I feel like I'm walking with the Lord well. And loving people is also pretty easy to see, right? Because when we are quick to anger, or we're quick to want to get our own way, or we're frustrated easily, it's pretty easily seen, hey, I'm not loving people well. And what's cool about these two basic things of Christianity is you can't, you can't love people without loving God. Right? It builds on each other. The quickest way I can see how my relationship with the Lord is going is how I treat Kara. It just makes sense because I spend the most time with her. And so when I see that I'm quick to anger, I'm frustrated all the time, or I want my own way, then I can quickly look back and be like, wait a second, how's my time with Jesus? And that's when I notice, oh, <laughs> I'm not spending any time with God. Or even when I am, it's not really intimate. It's not really intentional. I'm just going through the motions. And so it makes sense that my relationship with care, which is based on my relationship with God, is struggling. Right? So we get that, love God and love people. But what I want to zone in today is making disciples. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, if I asked 50 people in this room, what does it mean to you to make disciples? What does that look like? Why do we do it? How do we do it? I guarantee 50 different answers, which is okay because it's about relationships. And so every relationship is different. But I would say that for the most part, making disciples is an ambiguous, kind of Christianese, confusing term that we use. So if you saw someone on the street and they're like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to disciple my, my, my guy or my girl, then you're like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Does that mean you're going to go have a Bible study? You're going to go pray with them? You're going to do worship? You're going to go take them to church? Like, what does it mean to make disciples? So I really want to get into that today, and I want to show you how it's done. I want to show why we don't do it. I want to show the effects of if we don't do it, and just what is it? Plain and simple, right? So we're going to walk through that. So... What is a disciple? Now, I don't speak Greek or Hebrew, so I might just butcher this, but just go with me on this. Matheteo. Is that even close? I don't know. So, Matheteo 
is the learning believer. That is what disciple means in the Great Commission. When he says make disciples, matheteo. And it simply means learning believer. Now a disciple can be anyone that is an apprentice to someone else. If I want to learn from you, then I am your disciple. If I'm playing basketball and I watch you and I see how you, how you compete and I ask you how to do it and you teach me, I am your disciple in basketball. But biblically, we're talking about Matheteo, a learning believer. Someone that has hitched themselves to someone else and said, show me, teach me, how do I walk with the Lord? How do I know God better? How do I obey his commandments better? So, looking at the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We look at different commands in there. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Now, a lot of us, when we look at the Great Commission, we really, really focus on go. Just go, go. So it's all about, okay, missionaries are doing the Great Commission. They're going, right? Or even baptizing. What we mean when we say baptize them, it's simply saying have them identify as a believer. Have them identify as they are in the family of God. It's an outward expression of what happened inwardly. Right? That's what baptism is. So when you say go and baptize, you're saying go out there and bring them in the family. That's evangelistic right there. Go out and do it. That's the Great Commission. But there's a second part that I think a lot of times gets dropped on its head when we talk about the Great Commission. And that's make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? That second aspect of sanctification, which is just a really Christianese word of, I want to grow with the Lord. Someone that is growing consistently closer to God, looking more like Jesus. Right? And so when you say, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, you're saying, man, walk with them and show them what it looks like to be a follower of God. So we don't, we don't focus on that too much, but that is essentially the great commission, what we're all called to do. So in first century discipleship, we look in Bill Hull's complete book of discipleship, it, it narrowed down the five main principles. I know that's small font, I'm so sorry. But the five main principles of a disciple in first century Judaism. Judaism, Judaism, I don't know. So deciding to follow a teacher. So you had to submit yourself to a rabbi, to a teacher, and say, I am willing to follow. Number two, you would memorize his words, right? A lot of these guys that were learning had the entire Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible, and they actually had main passages memorized in different translations. They learned that from the rabbi, their teacher. Number three, they learned how they did ministry. So administrative ways of reaching people. They saw how they did their job, essentially. Number four, they imitated their life and character of their teacher. So they were the ones that were sitting around the campfire with Jesus, and they were seeing how he talks, how he does life every day, his character, and not just how he performs in front of people. That's what a disciple does. It's personal. He gets to see the life and character. Number five, they raised up their own disciples. They then became the rabbi. They became the ones that people would come to them and submit to their learning or to their teaching, right? So in this culture, a boy would be raised until they were 13, and then they had a decision to make. If they wanted to be a scribe or a judge or the head of a synagogue, then they would then have two choices. They would either, one, okay, I'm going to get in small groups, and I'm going to continue to study the Torah, or two, I'm going to submit to a rabbi, and I'm going to become a disciple. So we now see what a disciple is, a learning believer who submits themselves to another. It's a very simple term, but a lot of times, again, it's kind of confusing when we just hear it all the time. Make disciples, make disciples. But it's just a person that is willing to grow and wants to learn. So now we're going to get into why. 
Why do we need to make disciples? Besides the obvious fact that Jesus called all of us to make disciples. I mean, yeah, we should take Jesus for his word, but why else? Well, God originally said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's his original purpose for the world is his glory to be known through his people who, who are his image bearers. So spread, the, spread across the world and share my image. Now, um, discipleship is actually the quickest, easiest, and most effective way to do just that, to spread across the world. And I'm going to prove it to you. So, I don't have children yet. I've only been married for 21 weeks, and we're waiting a while. But eventually I will have kids, and I'm excited. But let's say that I have two children, two sons. And I turn to my first son. Oh, yeah, a bigger if, if I give them allowance, right? Because... <laughs> I've researched this, this topic. I don't know what it is. My parents in the crowd did not give me allowance. So I'm like, what is, what is allowance? Yeah, oh, giving money to your kids for nothing. Yeah, didn't get that. But let's say that I did that for my kids. I give them allowance. So my first son, I say, okay, son, allowance time. I'm going to give you $1 a week. At the, <laughs> Lucas, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, I will have given him $52, right? $1 a week, 52 times. Now, on the other hand, I turn to my second son, and I say, all right, son, I'll give you a penny, but I'll double the amount I'll give you every single week for the entire year. How much money will I have given my second son at the end of the year? What was that? Yes, $43 trillion. $43 trillion if I just double the amount each week for 52 weeks. Now, this is the common example of addition versus multiplication. Why do I tell you that? All right, Billy Graham, awesome evangelistic preacher. We've pretty much all heard of him right? Crusades, he's telling everyone about the Lord. Let's say that a thousand people come to know Christ every single day for a year because Billy Graham is there and he's doing this crusade. A thousand people come to know Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. 365,000 people at the end of the year know God, right? Personally. That's awesome. We can all agree. That's also exhausting. I don't know if I know anyone that could do that for an entire year, every single day, preach, and a thousand people get saved, that sounds pretty tough. A lot of us would say we're kind of busy. We have other things going on. That's, it's hard for us to go do our crusade on the side, right? Now, on the other hand, imagine one guy or one girl. Let's say it's you. And let's say that you decide in 2016, you know what? I'm going to meet with one guy or one girl. I'm going to go and find someone, and I'm going to tell them about Christ. I'm going to bring them into the family, and then I'm going to do life with them. I'm just going to show them how much joy is found in knowing Jesus, a personal relationship with God and what that looks like. And I'm going to do that for a year. And at the end of the year, as they've known more of scripture and I've shown them different disciplines of the faith, then at the end of the year, I say, all right, you go and do what I've done for you. Right? At the end of the first year, you have two guys that are discipling. Two disciple-making disciplers or multiplying multipliers, right? Two of those. But at the end of 10 years, how many disciple-making disciplers do I have? 1,024. At the end of 25 years, I have 33 million disciples. 25 years, 33 million. 33 million people are walking with Jesus and discipling others. That's three times more than if a thousand people got saved every day from one person doing this addition process. All right? Three times more. I actually have a little illustration for you. Now, yeah, yeah, here we go. So, what's funny is I actually give the addition process a lot more help on the screen, it's 100,000 people every single day get saved. So Billy Graham comes, 100,000 people get saved every day, right? If you look, though, 
It's still three times more after 25 years. And if you look down at the bottom, it says to reach the current population of the world, starting with one guy discipling one guy and multiplying that, it takes 33 years for the entire world to know Jesus. Makes sense. On the other hand, it would take 192 years for 100,000 people to know Jesus every day. Right? 33 years. What if we took it serious? What if God knew what he was doing and when he told Jesus to to then go and make disciples, and he picked the 12, and he sent them off and made them make disciples. What, what if that was the way we're supposed to do it? And, it act, and, and we looked around and was like, oh, it's happening. But the problem is we don't see it. We don't see a lot of times. A lot of us can be honest and say, when we were growing up, we did not have someone intentionally one-on-one pour into us and show us what it meant to walk with Jesus, personally and intimately, passionately, and going through struggles together, Right? A lot of us could say that. Why? That's what the church was called to do. It's as if the message has changed, but it hasn't. It's the Great Commission. So I'm going to go personal with this. Last year, when I was doing discipleship, I was spending like 32 hours one-on-one or in small group, one, and, and small group time discipling guys. 32 hours. This year, I came and I work at Grace Bible Church, and so I start preaching. I start teaching, and I start doing a lot more meetings, and I start doing more Bible studies, and I start writing Bible studies. I start doing all these different good things, but then I sit back, remember, because I like to evaluate how I'm doing, and I realize, what have I diminished or dropped down on? And it's the intentional giving of my life to another guy, discipleship. I've seen that diminish, right? Now, there's logical reasons behind it I can go with and say my schedule, my time, and all these things, but it, it gave me cause to think, okay, let me look at some of the main excuses I have for why I don't do it, or why I'm not doing it as much. And I'm also going to go into some of the excuses I hear when I challenge other people. Hey, what if you could just meet with one guy or one girl, and just discipleship, and just, just go out and do it. Do life with one person, right? These are some of the most common excuses. I'm not qualified. Pastors and missionaries, that's their job. I don't really know what discipleship means. I don't know what that looks like. I haven't been shown it, so I can't do it. I get this one. It's not my personality. That's not my person. You're the outgoing type. You're the one that likes to speak. But me, I'm reserved. I can't do that. That's not my personality. Or I get this one. Action speaks louder than words. So if I just walk out my faith, people are going to know Jesus because of how great of a Christian I am. Right? They might not say that, but I guarantee that that's holding them back. I have to show it before I can say it. And so they never say it. Right? I don't have time in my busy schedule. I'm going to camp out on this one in a minute. But a lot of us in this room, if I, I did a poll and I said, how many of you are busy people? I would guarantee every ham would go up. And I've realized something about the culture of College Station, and I am super guilty of it, is we, uh, we love and sometimes glorify busyness. Our schedule, when we look at it, is completely full all the time to where if I decide I want to enter into something else or, or create a margin of time that I'm going to start meeting with a guy or starting a new hobby, I'm like, well, I can't do it. My time is completely filled. I don't have the time. And the last one, and it's a very sad excuse as well, sad on both sides, is I don't have any non-Christian friends. We live in a Christian bubble, the Bible Belt. I go to school where it's cool to be a Christian. All my close friends are Christian. I can't do it. I hear that. And so camping out really quickly, I don't have time. I just want you really quickly to think about your own schedule throughout the week. 
And I want you to be honest with yourself and say, do I really have no time whatsoever to give my life to someone else, to encourage them and pour into them and show them what Christ has done for me and just do an intimate relationship with someone, right? And I know that a lot of us can say we're busy, especially us with families and kids. I understand. But honestly, it's the same as when I was meeting with the cadets in the Corps. I would sit down and look at their schedule and try and figure out a block when we can meet. Okay, you're preparing for the military, and you're in college doing A&M classes, and you're also in extracurricular organizations and clubs, and also you're involved at the church. Oh, man. And yet I still, with these guys, and they were willing, could find a block of time that we could start meeting. Sometimes it means I had to incorporate into their schedule, or they would incorporate into mine if I was really busy. If I'm going grocery shopping, I can bring them along, Right? You know, guys can work out together. You know, that type of thing is just, oh, going on runs, just spending time with guys and doing life, hitting two birds in one stone. So I just challenge you, if you don't think you have time, look at how you spend your time every day. And I guarantee a lot of you, I'm not going to say all of you, but I would say a lot of us really have the time to meet with someone. So where are you spending your time? Get creative. I'm going to go into more details in a minute on how we actually do discipleship, and I'll use, I'll use that again of, of the time. How are you spending it and get creative? But I want to challenge you with this verse. What if we shirk on our responsibilities to make disciples? What if we use those excuses and say, no way, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. I don't have the personality. I, got, I can only show it. You know, all these different things. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, it doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who act really, really good and other people see their lives and are like, oh, yeah, that's a Christian. I want to become a Christian. It doesn't say that. It says who are sent, who preach, you know, they hear it from other people, and then they go and do the same. You see the Great Commission right there. There is no excuse for us. So I wrote this question again. What if we shirk on that responsibility? Think about our next generation. Earlier I said maybe a lot of us didn't have someone to disciple us intentionally growing up. And we don't know what that looks like. And you break that cycle and you decide to start meeting with people. You invest in your kids and you show them what that looks like. right? You do that, but what if we don't? Our church will have leaders. They don't have people that pour into them and encourage them and show them what a mature man or a mature woman looks like. A family, a husband or a wife and how they pursue the Lord intentionally and still do other things well. We won't have that unless we do it, right? So this is where I get the Great Commission moving into discipleship. This is 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, who he calls his spiritual son, son in the faith. He loves Timothy. He's done life with Timothy. He's taught Timothy. What does he say to him? He says, all right, now what I've taught you, go find men that are faithful, teach them. But don't just teach them, teach them and then have them teach others. There is discipleship cycles right there. Right? And so, moving into the next place, this is the, the main part of the message is, how do we do it? I can no longer say, I don't know what it means. I can no longer say, I don't understand it or why I should do it. And I can even identify with, maybe there are some things in my life and excuses and pitfalls that I use, and, and they're, not, they're not really valid. 
right? And so I've moved into four practical steps, right? And the reason I do the four practical steps is not to pigeonhole. This is discipleship. If you do it this way, that's the only way. If you're not doing it, you're not a successful uh, person who's following the Great Commission. I'm not saying that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I will say that it's very easy for me to evaluate myself and say, how am I doing as a disciple maker? A multiplying multiplier. And I can look and say, okay, I have a guy. How am I growing in a relationship with him? How am I training them up and how am I sending them out? I'm going to break into these four steps. But I just encourage you, to, as we go through this, to think to yourself, where are you at? Do you have a guy or a girl that you're really pouring into and investing in? So the first one is choosing. Choosing is so, so important. And a lot of times when we finally get gung-ho, we're like, oh, I'm a go, I'm going to go make disciples. And you just go out and pick. But I want to turn to someone who's a pretty good disciple maker. His name is Jesus. And in Luke 6, 12, it says, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. This is the only time in recorded scripture where Jesus prayed all night. And it says it. Jesus prayed all night. Now, we don't know exactly what he was praying for, but look what he does right after he comes down. Chooses the 12, calls them the apostles. He prayed all night. Jesus prayed all night for clarity and purpose because he knew how important discipleship was. He knew that discipleship was the means to reach the world, to share the image of God across the world and to glorify God. And so he chose carefully. He chose wisely. So here's a fun acronym, FAT. You need to pick a fat person. Pick a fat person. I know that's going to be difficult because it's the new year, New Year's resolution. No one's fat anymore, right? But I challenge you to find one. They're hard to find. So faithful, available, and teachable. What does that mean? Faithful, available, and teachable. A faithful person is a consistent person. A person that says, hey, if we're going to meet up, we meet up. We're going to meet each week. We're going to meet every other week. Or if they say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to work, I'm going to grow in this, then they do it. An available person, I talked about that earlier, do they even have time? I actually was meeting with one guy, took 21 hours, was in the core, was involved at the church, and he was killing himself. Like, he was still very consistent. He was like, yeah, I can meet. And I'd meet with him. I'd be like, hey, man, so like, uh, how's how's the time with the Lord? Oh, it's going great. How much sleep did you get the last night? One hour. One hour, you got to sleep more than that. He's like, yeah, but I have to meet with you. And I'm like, man, you're faithful, but you're not available. You can't give everything your all if you don't sleep. And so he had to figure out margin in his schedule as well. So is your, is your guy or is your girl available? And lastly, is teachable. Are they humble enough to listen? Are they humble enough to listen? There's different examples of having a guy who's really available, has the time, is very faithful in meeting, but... They just don't listen. They just don't really, you don't see that in them. You don't see them wanting to grow and you don't see them seeing the need, hearing, I've heard all the messages. I've been to church so many times. I know what this looks like. That's a person that's not teachable. But on the other hand, if you say, okay, man, I've heard a lot, but I want to grow. I want to know more. Teach me. Man, those guys are the guys that learn the fastest. And I had, I had one guy that, man, just grew so fast. He was like, okay, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And I'm like, I don't have any more. You're incredible, right? But teaching, they just, they just love it. And I'm like, you're so awesome. And I want to be like that. I want to be a guy that learns from every single person, every single pastor, every single person I meet with. It's like, oh, what can I learn from you? 
So the reason I use fat as well is because a fat person's hungry. A fat person is hungry to grow in their relationship with God. <laughs> so, growing. <laughs> Great. Growing. Growing or analyzing. I didn't want to use analyzing because that's almost like really evaluating someone can scare people. And I'm a psychology major, so sometimes I do that and people are like, okay, that's weird. But I really do. I love spiritual gifts tests. I love personality tests. I love to know people holistically. How did God create you individually to do specific awesome things? Because we are all made so different from the person next to us because we're called to do specific things. And so I love to get to know my guy and say, okay, how are you made? Let's do this, right? Discipleship's about relationships. It's messy at times. You have to actually share things. You have to be vulnerable. And that's why a lot of us don't engage. We don't want other people to know our junk. But the cool thing is we all have junk. That's not really cool, but it's cool, right? Because we all are broken, and yet we put on masks so often and we go to church and we look like we have the part and then we see other people have their masks on. We're like, nah, man, like everyone's good. So I can't share anything. But in the reality is you sit down and you talk. It's like, oh man, we're broken. Let's do this. Let's do life. So get to know them. I wrote the shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experiences. That's just knowing someone holistically. Don't enter into discipleship relationship, but I have the answers and you don't. So let me tell you everything I know. That's a quick way to not be mentoring or discipling anyone. Third step, training. Four practical steps. So the training piece, this one that is kind of daunting for us. Whoa. Wow. Okay, there we go. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. When Jesus said that, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a lot. And a lot of us would be like, man, that is... That's too heavy. I can't do all of that. And I can't teach all of that. And so you shirk away from that responsibility because you don't think you have it. But I would just challenge you. God brought you into a relationship. He brought you here. He's going to see you through. And in reality, he's taught you specific things. So pass on your own convictions. What has God taught you? And go into just foundational aspects of a Christian walk. Share the gospel. There is too many people. I, I mean, youth, and I've talked to a couple of high school guys, middle school guys, and I asked them, okay, Share the gospel. Can you do that? And a lot of them can't. And I don't know where the breakdown is, but they are Christian and they understand the gospel. But then whenever you ask them to articulate it and to show it, share it to someone, they can't do it. So where is that? That's on us to challenge people to practice sharing the gospel. The role of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does in you, not what you do for God. That's a big one for us is that we don't earn anything, and so we can't do anything for God. Anything good we do, he's going to do through us anyways. Time in God's word. One of, one of my old mentors always started with, how's time in God's word? Or, what is God teaching you, and how are you applying it? That was every single time we met for four years. That was the first question, and I knew, okay, he's going to ask me how my time with God is going, because he's going to ask me about reading. And so I eventually was able to learn from that, and so the guys that I meet with, it's quick to see, oh man, if they're not spending time with the Lord, how are they growing? That's God's word he's speaking. We just need to open it up and listen. And lastly, struggles. Again, relationships are messy. Let's be real with each other. Let's be intentional with each other. Last step is sending. Who will be able to teach others also? 2 Timothy 2.2 2 again. Quick, easy way. A lot of y'all were saying earlier, you might find yourself really, really busy. Add them as what you're already doing. Do ministry with them. You want to get involved in service? Do service with them. You want to get involved in a Bible study? Do a Bible study with them. You can bring them into your life. Go grocery shop with, grocery shopping with them, right? You just add them to what you're already doing. Get creative. I challenge you with that. 
It's been said that if you meet with a guy, but then you don't send them, you're just counseling them. You just sit down and ask, okay, what's the struggles going? And they just kind of tell you all their junk and, and you kind of encourage and talk them through it. But then it's like, okay, we'll do it next week, right? Instead of, hey, I want you to grow and I want to push you to go and teach someone else. So go and do it with them. Go and share the gospel. Go and do service ministry. I want to camp out really quickly for those of you that really are super, super busy. I'm really specifically talking to parents because I don't know if there is too many excuses for anyone that doesn't have parents or that's not a parent. But meeting with your kids, the Bible says that meeting with your household, providing for your household is number one. It's first. So I get that pressure. And so you're probably saying, well, I have to disciple my kids. And that's my first concern. And I say, amen, do that, right? Do that. But make sure you're doing it, not just using it as an excuse. There are so many opportunities here at Grace to get involved. One that comes to mind quickly for me is called First Call, 6 a.m. men's Bible study. There's not much going on at 6 a.m., right? And so I can't use the excuse of, I'm doing something. No, like, okay, I'll be there. And what's cool is it's multi-generational. You have guys that are looking to disciple younger men, and you have men looking for older men to pour into them. But that's just one example. There's women's Bible studies. There's retreats to go on. There's all these different things to get involved with. So it's really, are you going to take that step and go and do it and look? Enter into that ministry or that opportunity with the eyes open of who can pour into me? I need someone. Or who can I be a blessing and pour into? So the application. Again, discipleship is simply looking at what Jesus did, modeling that for us. So it's about knowing God. It's about walking out sanctification, Christ-likeness. Right? It's sharing Christ's love and then it's multiplying multipliers. So for you, I challenge you. What's your next step? What is your next step? Are you willing? Are you wanting? Are you hungry? What's your next step? Is it to choose someone? Is it to train them? Because you're just meeting with them, but you're not really pouring into them truth. Is it sending them? I've been meeting with them forever, but I just they're my best friend. I don't ever want to leave them. And so I'm scared if I send them off, I'll never see them again. No, that's not what it looks like. You've got to send them. That's the biggest blessing is seeing guys that you've poured into that then pour into other people. You say, that's what it's like. That's what I want. Second application, who is someone you can be praying for? Right? So if you need to choose someone, pray about it. Choose wisely. How could God use you to disciple them? And lastly, are you faithful? Are you available and are you teachable? A lot of us would say we don't disciple because we've never been shown. We've never been discipled. I encourage you to go and find someone to pour into you. Doesn't matter age, doesn't matter how long you've been in the church, there's always guys that you can learn from. If we all are hungry and looking around, we can learn from any person in the room. But look for someone and be that faithful, available, and teachable person. I meet with a pastor right now and I literally go over to his house. He just had his fourth kid and I just go to his house for, for like two hours a week and hang out with him and his kids, right? That's just entering into his life, his schedule, and it's an easy transition, and we're both busy guys. So all of us can do it. Just go do it. That's my challenge for you, and I hope that we can be real going into 2016 and getting back to the basics. Now, we're about to transition into communion, but I just want you to think about even communion was a moment for Jesus to sit with his beloved, his, his best friends, his disciples. And how can we look like Jesus, even in that moment? And that changing the game up in the communion process, he, he was spending time with the ones he loved. And let's give our lives to people too. So if you'll pray with me. 
Father, we love you and we trust you. We know that you have a big plan for us, God, and you want to use us. So allow us to hear, allow us to listen and to grow. Allow us to be hungry for your word and allow us to look around us, to open our eyes and to get out of our busy schedules and see that there's people everywhere who need you. God, I am so grateful that you are a good father. God, that you love us so much and it goes on and on and on. God, and that's what I want other people to know. And I know that you've called us to disciple, to make disciples for that purpose so we can know and experience you and glorify you. God, I just pray for this time. I pray that we can just look inwardly and be honest with ourselves and see if if we're not really doing it right, if we're not really walking out our faith, if we're not really making disciples. Challenge us in 2016 to look more and more like Christ every day. We trust you, God, and we're grateful that you say in the Great Commission that you will be with us always to the end of the age. And that's what motivates and gives us the energy. It's your spirit. So allow it. To allow us to just be faithful to you, God. We love you and we trust you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God. If you men would go ahead and come forward with the elements for communion. I wanted to share just real quickly. Um, this is such a unique time of year with the turn of the year on our calendars. And, um, and so you guys can go ahead and pass them out and distribute them. And as you guys are taking those, uh, I want you to consider this. We moved from 2015 to 2016. And what that provided for us is an opportunity to kind of reflect back. December 31st, the year is about to change over into a whole new year. And oftentimes what we do is we look back on 2015. We think about all the joys. We think about the heartaches. We think about the ways that God has moved, the the ways that God has provided in this past year. And then we also look forward with anticipation about what God is going to do and what he's going to bring forth in this new year, 2016. And in much the same way of reflecting back and looking forward, communion gives us that privilege, that opportunity to to consider and reflect back on what God has done, all the joys. We celebrated the incarnation just a couple of weeks ago. What could be more joyous than that? Christ with us, Emmanuel. Yet his life on earth was certainly not all sunshine and lollipops. We know that He came to give His life, to give His life up for us. And so we reflect back on the heartaches. We reflect back on the difficulty and the trial and the suffering that Christ came to do on our behalf. But we also think about the resurrection. We think about the joy in His coming back to life, recognizing that He conquered death, He conquered sin, and He conquered Satan in His resurrection. And then when the Scriptures say, do this as often as you will in remembrance of Me until I come, the blessing is in that phrase that we are anticipating. We are looking forward. And so in this moment, reflect on what He has done as well as anticipating what He will do. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. He also says, In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take together.
Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Your body that was broken, your blood that was spilled on our behalf. We thank you and we praise you for this new year that we have to look forward to in anticipation of all that you may do, all that you may provide, all the ways that you may work in and through us. And Lord, we desire so desperately that we would be used by you to make disciples, that we would draw other people to your kingdom, to your the knowledge of your Son, and enter into a relationship with you. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that you will hasten the day, that you will return for us. We look forward to and anticipate your coming, and we ask that you would come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.